Hello everyone, welcome to Through the Eyes of a Therapist with Crystal Martinez Acosta. Today I will be speaking with perinatal mental health expert, Vanessa Priscilla Perry. Okay, so today's guest is Vanessa. Say hi. Hello everyone. Awesome. So um, Vanessa and I met each other in high school. We actually went to high school together. Uh, and then we reconnected many years later at a friend's wedding and then now again. <laughs> and it's funny because we both ended up being therapists. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're located? Yes. Um, so Vanessa Perry, I am currently located in a small rural town in Alaska. Um, Kasilof, Alaska. It's about three hours south of Anchorage, which Anchorage is like the biggest population area in Alaska, if you can call it that. Um, but uh, my husband's from here, and so we're here for now. And uh, yeah, so big, big change coming from El Paso, Texas, which is a desert. It's completely, it's gorgeous up here, but um, a lot of changes with like light, uh, darkness in the winter. Uh, we only get about four hours um, in the deep of winter of light. Oh my gosh! So in a big change. Um, and I've lived in other places like um, Kansas City, that also has you know cold weather and snow. But the, the biggest thing is the light here in Alaska. Yeah, you're right. This is a completely different environment for you because where I live or where you used to live in El Paso, it's a desert, like literally a desert. Like there's tumbleweeds and sand everywhere. And uh, I live like on the far east side of town and it's grown a lot, Vanessa, like over here. So we kind of live almost near like far east Montana. I don't know if you can kind of remember where that is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, out here in the desert like it's expanding and they're building like a sportsplex and all kinds of stuff so I can't even imagine like I go on vacation or something somewhere else that's not a desert and I'm dying of like either cold or humidity or something so I can't even imagine what that was like for you yeah it's, it's been a big change um it it kind of feeds into uh, my profession actually um so when we were in high school, we took a few classes um, on knowing what you want to do in life. And it always kind of pointed me toward being either a forest ranger or a counselor. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, Those are two completely different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can be very outgoing and spontaneous and connect well with people. And also, I am, you know, I enjoy my alone time and you know, I like nature a lot, so that's probably where that came from. What really said it for me was having a speaker once at one of our classes talking about how she worked in prisons as a psychologist in the prisons. Oh, and, okay. And uh, being able to make a difference, even though, you know, maybe a lot of people don't see it, but just some of the stories that she shared really connected with me, and that's what made me decide to to do that. My end goal was being a psychologist in something, being able to teach at university or um, have my own thing going on. I, I really enjoy the research part of things. Um, do you really? 
I do. I do. I like studying people <laughs> more than anything. That micro expressions, um, the slight, you know, twitch of the, the, the lip. That's always intrigued me. Interesting. Yeah, that's true. Um, because in counseling, we do a lot of that every day. <laughs> we have to be able to read body language and facial expressions really well and understand what feelings are behind those expressions yes and it allows us to use that as a tool for you know a lot of times as a person you are experiencing things and you don't even know it and sometimes it takes a third party or someone that knows you really well you know a best friend or a partner to be like oh you're going through this like you need to change and it's like oh i hadn't even really noticed yeah that makes total sense it's like um we're kind of like this outlet, these people that are disconnected from their family and from their personal lives. And so sometimes people need that third eye, like you said, to kind of just analyze and help them figure out how they should intervene and just look at things objectively. That's a little bit about what you do. So you've been practicing for a while because we graduated in the same class, but I think you might have finished grad school before I did. And from what I understand, you studied to become a PsyD. I think. Uh, yes. Well, that was my original track. I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology, and um, I had an opportunity where I could work at my university, get half my courses paid for my master's, and work for the school, and helping a lot of the students who struggled academically and also um, more at-risk students um, in undergrad. Oh, interesting. So you did a, career counseling. Yeah, I did a lot of that. So that's while I was working on my master's. And I was still focused on psychology route. And then kind of reaching middle slash end, um, I met uh, my person. Oh, you met your person. <laughs> yeah, I met my person. And it was harder because all the kids were getting younger. At the university, I was getting older and I worked and had school full-time so I, there wasn't really any time to meet people so actually my husband on an online service oh interesting and, uh, yeah so I would have never met somebody from Alaska but um yeah, right that's true working out <laughs> yeah toward the end it was kind of like I'm either gonna you know get married and kind of go that route or go get my doctorate like in Seattle or something like that. I have looked at Seattle or Virginia for some schools. I mean, so I ended up with a human services counseling degree, which was more based toward um, community mental health services and social work type of stuff. The other two were a lot shorter than the psychology one. So I just decided to do that. And, and it worked out because um, here in Alaska, the need is so great for just mental health in general. And so I thought it would be a good fit, and it did. It ended up being a very good fit for working up here. That's amazing. Can you talk a little bit more about the need that's up there? Sure. Um, well, the main things that come out um, statistically, just off the top of my head, um, when I moved up here, I started working at a community mental health center agency um, in Anchorage, Alaska. The native population which is um, Yupik, Eskimo, um, have uh, such rural, like some of these places are even off the road system, so people have to fly in to even get to some of these um, towns. 
and the weather is much more and more and more extreme because it's a lot more north than where I am, which I'm in the south central part of Alaska. And so we get a lot of cases that, you know, people are flown down into Anchorage to get services because in these small towns, there's barely even one police officer. Um, so you see a lot of prevalence in um, sexual abuse and substance abuse, um, things like that, that tend to happen in isolation. And a lot of times there's maybe three to ten families that have just kind of always been there and, you know, the tribes are made up of that and stuff like that. And so there can be a lot of incest that happens and um, abuse, physical, sexual, uh, um, trauma, uh, a lot of substance abuse. So the number one, I would say, is substance abuse that people struggle with up here. Um, another factor is that the lack of light. So a lot of people do um, suffer or struggle with um, the, what we call SAD. And so it's the seasonal affective disorder, um, which is the lack of light and the lack of vitamin D that comes with light. And so overall, there's this sense of just kind of like a depression that kind of real gloomy. There's no sun. There's not really much to do because it's so cold outside. Weather is pretty extreme. Um, there's a lot of struggle during the winter time. Um, and interestingly, suicide uh, rises as soon as the spring begins. And so it, it's almost like this state of like numbness for all of the winter months. And then once the sun starts coming out and you start getting a sense of like, oh, I am alive. I am. I can do this. Um, there's a lot of people who decide I can't do this anymore and, and end up, you know, taking their own lives. And so suicide would be a big one that we deal with. Wow, that's so interesting. You'd think that the suicide rate would decrease at that time because it starts to, well, get warmer. Not that it's warm up there, but it, it sounds like the weather's not as extreme during like the spring or summer up there. That was one of the things that, you know, I mainly dealt with is called co-occurring disorders. And so this, what this is that someone, an individual, has substance abuse issues, whether it's drugs or alcohol related, but they also have a mental health a disease that they struggle with. So schizophrenia, bipolar, extreme depression or anxiety, and they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, that's um, like comorbidity, right? So they like ex um, experience two things at the same time. Wow, that's that's really fascinating that how even the geographic location that you're in can impact your mental health. And it kind of feeds into each other. You know, I, I heard somebody say once while I was working with them is like, ma'am, I would much rather people be preferred be seen as a drunk or a drug addict than someone with schizophrenia because people know what substance abuse is all about but they don't understand my mental disorder you know what came first is it the substance abuse that came first um and then they you tapped into you know maybe some anxiety or um delusions and stuff like that that come with a lot of the you know drug use or was it the other way around and it was like I'm gonna use substances to get away from my reality so it's very very interesting and, and sad really it's a big job to do up here yeah it sounds like um it's because there's such a high need you're probably overwhelmed do, do you think that you could talk a little bit about your practice and how that came about? Uh, while working at the mental health agency and doing the whole married thing, 
Um, obviously, I, I we had our first baby on the way, and um, it was very hard to decipher, but I ended up experiencing a lot of depression symptoms. What kinds of things did you experience? So, I mean, as a mental health studier, I knew these things, but it was hard to see them while I was in it until it, I was out of it. I could look back and be like, whoa, I could not. The things that made me happy, I couldn't get myself to do or even think like, oh, that'll bring me joy. So I'm going to do it like bike riding. I'm a really big bike rider and I I just couldn't do it. I tried a few times and it was just like, oh, why even bother? Like, this is not fun. I'm a, I'm a bubbly, outgoing person. And like I said, I, I like being, you know, outgoing and, you know, people give me energy and I didn't really have any friends and so I didn't I didn't want to meet people I didn't have the energy to connect and and do that kind of stuff one big thing that now that I I go through this and I know something is up is everything is seen negatively Hmm. my cup is always half empty instead of half full nothing that happens is a good thing it's like oh yeah well yeah we did go do this fun thing but it's over now so and i'm always bored and i'm always this and that or oh yay this happened and i just i can't see anything positively everything is kind of like this gloomy thing yeah having that negative lens yeah yeah it's I attributed to such big changes and it probably was um you know moving not really having any um social network here other than my husband's family the light the the lack of like sun which is awesome you know, it's like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Me being used to 100 degree summers, that was nothing. Like, that was just bad. Like, I wanted to feel the sun burning my skin, and it never happened. It was a very rainy summer. Here, yeah. there's so much sunlight. Like, they call it one of the sunny, well, they call it the sun city because of how yes. sunny it is. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my gosh, Vanessa, that must have been really hard to deal with. So, a few months later, I found out, yes, indeed, I am pregnant and unlike most people that find out that they're pregnant and joy you know I'm having this new little uh human with my human and um I just got the pregnancy test and threw it at him and said see this is why I'm like the way I am and it was totally not appropriate and not what I thought I would be expecting to react to when I first had you know when I found out that I was pregnant so you attribute it to the pregnancy yeah um I'm expecting my fourth baby now so it's been a while and um I can tell now that I do experience these things this mood shift when I am pregnant um so wait you're pregnant right now I am (gasps) oh my god wow we are breaking the story on the podcast that Vanessa Perry is pregnant Yes, oh so um, we have three boys. We're hoping for a girl, but we'll see. But um, <laughs> getting back to, to the subject. Um, yes, go ahead. Sorry. I was like, okay, well, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Like, whatever, whatever. I never sought any help or anything. When it came time to um, give birth, I had this preconceived idea from my mom, who is a beast. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> every time we watch up she'd always be like oh those movies and all those shows that show moms being like ah, I'm dying she's like that is fake that is all Hollywood and make make-believe it was not that hard 
you know, so this fear was not there of childbirth because my mom didn't experience that. So I was like, oh, it's in my genes. I was not expecting to deal with the type of challenge that childbirth is. And it was rough. It was about a 36-hour labor. Holy moly! Um, they tried natural ways to, like, induce labor and make it go quicker, like popping my waters and stuff like that it made everything more intense there's like a policy at birth centers that after the water breaks only so much longer you can stay there and then they transfer you to the hospital so that's what ended up happening it was like all natural to this point no payments or anything because that's that's how my mom did it oh Um, so there was an expectation yeah my husband and i had both decided that we were gonna go this route natural and you know so i all i saw was movies and films and resources that said the girls are bad and all this stuff is bad and you're poisoning your yourself and your baby and so i was like i'm going to poison my baby now like i wasn't strong enough and i couldn't do it so now i'm gonna have to do it this way but it's all these preconceived ideas or expectations that i wasn't fulfilling for myself so i got there and i got an epidural and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Oh my gosh. I took a five, five, or five to six hour sleep, like nap. Um, and then after that, I woke up and I was able to push. And by that time, I think it was more of a spinal tap, which is a little more temporary. Um, so I was able to like feel like the baby coming out and everything. I wasn't numbed out by that time. And so all that happened. But I remember um, after it happened, like... I look back and I was like, hmm, I know what trauma is. And so trauma or PTSD is an event where you feel like that your life or somebody else's that you are witnessing is going to end. You know, some people say, oh, this was so scary. Um, And another person might say that was not that scary. But to them, it's really about how you perceive the situation. And so um, that's kind of how trauma is defined. PTSD is... I was experiencing and I thought I was in danger of losing my life. And so I, I remember that happening when they were transferring me to the hospital. I thought the pain was so bad that I was literally going to die. And I, I, I remember not being able to respond to anything. Like even the doctors and stuff were asking me questions and I was just sitting there like numbed out. Like Yeah, it was like a traumatic birth. And I just want to interject really quickly that the episode that I recorded um, and released last night is about trauma. So if people want to hear a little bit more about trauma and how trauma is subjective, Vanessa is bringing in a good point about how her experience with childbirth was traumatic for her and it is for a lot of moms you know um going into a c-section unplanned c-section feeling like oh my baby might be dying right now or oh i feel like i'm dying is traumatic and a lot of times after the birth people are like yay oh but the baby's fine you you're both fine and kind of brush it off and that's kind of what was happening to me like uh, you know it was like oh yay you're fine and the baby was fine everything's fine yay congratulations but i found myself having the typical symptoms of avoiding no i'm never ever 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 going to have another child um i can't do that anymore i would have nightmares that would i'd wake up and like check frantically to make sure that my baby was okay and stuff like that so i knew all of this 
all of the symptoms were happening. And so I am thinking to myself, I need help. Well, surprise, surprise, there was no one that specialized in this in my area. So I'm in the Anchorage area. The best I found was like a mommy support group with other moms that kind of talk to each other and stuff like that. So I started Googling, like, is there such thing as birth trauma, all that kind of stuff. And I, and I did end up finding some resources and be knowing that there is a, such a thing as called childbirth trauma. Um, there was such experiencing depression during birth and also after birth. So postpartum depression, which with my first child, once the baby was out, I was, like perfect I was good I didn't experience any, anything else and I was like back to normal self <laughs> a few months later I decided you know what I need to find out if I can be someone to make a difference in my community because I am certain that there are other women who have the same thing because a lot of times you talk to moms and all they tell you is like their horror stories oh my gosh I had a 37 hour labor and oh I had to have a c-section and look at my scar and oh the pain is just so bad and now I get it it's these women who are trying to heal like just be heard from their traumatic experiences or their horrible pregnancy you know that's that's really interesting, Vanessa, because like, okay, so right now I do not have children. I work with uh, a lot of women and some of them are moms and they've talked to me about their experiences with childbirth and it's a little scary for me because they do tell me stuff about their birthing process and how painful it was and how they didn't get any sleep and it was so scary and I'm like, okay, don't want to have kids, right? Like they really freaked me out and so it's nice to know that if I look at it from like a trauma-informed perspective, what's happening is that they actually are trying to heal from their trauma. That's so interesting. I've never thought of it that way. Oh, yeah, because I'd always heard these stories, and obviously TV shows it, and I think media tries to kind of start the talk of this is serious stuff. Um, but there's never really been a field in this, um, not till recently, really. Not till maybe the past 10 years has there been like, okay, we need to start researching this. We need to start creating methods and um, strategies to help moms. Because um, a lot of times it was like, that's, you know, oh yeah, everyone has it hard. And you were just to grin and bear it through and that was it, you know. A lot of times I've talked to older, like grandmas now, and they also talk about, you know, they'll be like, wow, that's a thing? Like, because <laughs> it wasn't back oh, then. It was just yeah. like, it wasn't. So through that, I, I took some training um, and have learned a lot. Uh, we were able to, a co-worker of mine um, also at the agency, which now she, she kind of broke off and has her own practice there in Anchorage as well, um, specializing in, um, in women and and these kinds of things. Um, we started a grassroots organization um, trying to just spread awareness and talking about what really happens and how you can get help and really training our, our professionals on how to spot it and how to help. So that's like the tricky part is being able to catch women that are experiencing troubles hmm. because OBs will be like, oh, that's a mental health thing. Talk to a counselor. Counselors are like, oh, but you're pregnant and we can't really prescribe stuff to you because it's tricky. So go to your OB. And so women are lost in this chasm of like, who do I see really? And really it needs to be a team effort. It needs to be something that 
OBs and, and family practitioners and gynecologists are able to study up and know that it's important for them to know what meds to prescribe, what, what things to do, how to screen women um, in their postpartum visit and also during their pregnancy. And then also having counselors learn about, you know, how to help women. And, and the nice thing, the nice hopeful thing that I have found is that with these mental challenges that come with, you know, pregnancy, uh, childbirth, and postpartum period is that it has a lot to do with the, the changes and the balances that happen with your hormones. And so a lot of times, once two, three years comes after you've had a baby, you go back to normal. And you do regain yourself back. And it is not a forever permanent thing, especially that time gets shorter. Like if you do end up reaching out for help and connecting and, and uh, maybe starting, you know, a lot of people talk about what's your birth plan? Well, what's your postpartum plan? What are you going to do to ensure that you're not, you know, like a sleep deprived mombie, mom zombie? So there are th- like um, things that you can prepare for, and you know, I tell new moms or moms who are trying, like, yes, it, it it can be challenging, but so is running a marathon, or so is going back to school, or so is you know joining the military, whatever, whatever. Everything in life has its challenges, but you can definitely prepare for them, and and knowing like being aware that this might happen, and it's not like every mom suffers through this it's right now the numbers we have is one in seven and so it is pretty prevalent but not it doesn't mean if you are pregnant or going to have a baby this will happen like it's not a sentence but we do want to get the word out and be like you know what if it does happen you know what to do and you know who to reach out to and you know what what precautions to take and what safety measures to put in place to make sure that you and your partner know that you can be supported and you can make it through because it's such a big transition in life. I totally agree with you on the planning thing. I know that most things in life, maybe we cannot plan for or prepare for completely. But um, if you know that you're pregnant, you're going to be pregnant for like nine, 10 months, right? But then after that, you're a mom or you're, you know, your baby's born and that's forever. And so having a plan for after birth just makes so much sense. Yep. And we emphasize so much on, you know, pregnancy. Like there's a lot of um, apps out there for pregnancy and stuff like that. And mentally, there's such a big gap there for um, just people knowing what to expect mentally. I'd like to mention a few of the things that that can or may be experienced um, postpartum, um, and it's kind of like what to look out for. So after uh, a woman has a baby, there is that fluctuation of going 100% of all these, you know, awesome hormones for your body to be producing a, a human being. At 100%, they're pumping. Even your blood is pumping like twice the normal amount. Um, once the baby exits and you have your baby, all of these hormones are like, oh, no more baby. We can stop production. So it ceases like immediately. All of these hormones that were pumping through your body start 
you know, take the nosedive shift down and try to reach back to their normal levels, which is like from 100% to like maybe 7 or 10% that they pump out normally. Wow, that's drastic. And so, yeah, huge, 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 huge. And so for the first two weeks, um, you will notice what we call the baby blues. Um, and that is just like kind of crying a lot of times like, oh, I'm just so happy. I don't know why. Or this baby is not breastfeeding. I don't know why. Or just anything makes you cry. That's normal. That's like major period craziness happening, but in reverse. Yeah. So, um, anything after three weeks, that's when we start getting concerned if there's like this um, heaviness of like, oh, I just can't like shake it off. Like everything just seems, you know, dreary and like I should be happy. Or um, another big one is just not being really able to connect um, emotionally with the baby. Not that you're ignoring it or leaving it there to cry or whatever, but just not really being able to make that connection. There's like the depression side. Um, there's also some women who experience some of the anxiety um, category. And so a lot of hypervigilance, uh, even to the extreme of like, maybe like OCD. So just obsessively, compulsively looking at things like making sure that the doors are locked at night. And what I mean by that is every new mom checks to see that the baby's, you know, sleeping or whatever. But this is to where it's compulsive. Like you have to do it every so, so often, like every 10 minutes. And if you don't do it, like you cannot just not think about it. It, it becomes compulsive. It becomes obsessive. You, you have to do it to make sure. And you kind of create this ritual where you have to be checking or um, constantly washing bottles like over and over and over again. There is also um, the ability to get postpartum psychosis. And so that is not like the next step up of severity. Um, so just because you have postpartum depression doesn't mean it's going to turn into eventually postpartum psychosis. And when I talk about postpartum psychosis, um, I'm talking about the extreme rare cases, one in 1,000, so completely rare cases of like the Andrea Yates, where she drowned all of her children in the bathtub. Or La Llorona. <laughs> yeah. I have I have deemed her that she had postpartum psychosis because she, like, drowned her children in the river. Andale. You know yeah. For real. Um, so these extreme cases, yeah, the mom who kills her and her baby, you know, you do hear these stories. You know, breaking news, postpartum depression woman ends up killing her and her child. That is not postpartum depression. That is psychosis, and it is very, very, very rare. If you're in psychosis, it, you don't know that you're in it. You'll need someone to know, you know, will need to get help for you. Right. It's like a sense of, yeah, yeah, the sense of, like, uh, not being grounded in reality. So you wouldn't know if you were psychotic at that moment. You might say, oh, my baby's the devil. And then be like, wait, that's weird. No, it's not. It's just crying a lot and I don't know what's wrong with it. There you are aware of what you're thinking and your thoughts and that they're not okay. Mm. When you are in a psychotic state, you don't know about it. And so, like I said, these cases are like one in 1,000, so I don't like to focus on them too much. What I do like to share is like the, um, the other cases, so like postpartum depression, 
So your general, you know, lack of sleep, lack of appetite. Um, uh, new moms are like going 100% all day long with a needy baby. And by the time night comes, their their system is just so overflowing with like cortisol and all this like intense hormones that you can't shut your brain off. And so a lot of times, you know, therapy, just being able to talk about it and instill some practices to help you calm down at night or or maybe even um, taking some medications for depression and anxiety. There are some that are safe. And and so, um, yeah, so there's um, there's like this whole plethora of things that a lot of times we don't talk about it because we're like, oh, they're going to think that I want to kill my baby and take my baby away. And that's what we're working toward is being able to spread the news of like the differences between um, what your symptoms are and also like normalizing it, like being like, okay, this is a real thing and a lot of moms go through this and you can get help. A lot of times moms with postpartum depression or anxiety are like the best moms, you know, in public, they are perfect. They, their hair is done, makeup is perfect. Like they won't admit to any problems because you know they're, you know they're doing good. They're doing good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not like they're bad moms. They're just they're kind of dying inside and they need help. So so yeah, that's my passion right now. Um, that's what I focus on in my in my private practice. Um, I work closely with the hospital here and the local OBs um, sending me women who need help um with anxiety and stuff stuff like that so um also just kind of helping parents in their new transition you know it there's a lot of change that happens um focus on baby maybe you know the partner might feel left out and not really know what their role is in helping mom out with baby and being able to even just help mom and dad connect and um or you know partners connect and be like we still have a relationship even though it's shifted and changed a bit it's still there i have gotten concerns um with like there was a a woman who every time she'd go in to get checked out so like a cervical check or what what not a pap smear she would kind of have like just like freeze up and maybe start having flashbacks and stuff like that because she had experienced sexual abuse in the past and so that's kind of part of traumatic birth. A lot of times when you are giving birth, it, it feels like you're powerless. A lot of times the doctors don't really listen to you. So it can send a woman who has experienced, you know, sexual trauma kind of spiraling back into, you know, before. And so that was her case in, the, in that case. Um, so kind of more trauma-based on her for that particular case. It's interesting because, you know, I don't really know anybody that, practices like that here in El Paso uh, the way you do and um, you know talking about postpartum issues or even pregnancy issues um, I am not really quite sure who does that down here Um, I don't work with adults uh, so I you know I'm not really connected to like women who would need that service but what I do see uh, our children and so sometimes I'll notice that there's some sort of attachment issue and so I wonder if you know I'm sure it's somewhere out there in the literature but you know having like postpartum anxiety or even uh, during pregnancy how that can affect the baby and how that can affect attachment what are your thoughts on that yes so it can be 
I mean, it, it all depends on whether the mom is able to help. Um, even as simple as, you know, some of the things that I've been taught is even if you can't connect with baby, like fake it. Being able to hold the baby and smile and say maybe like you're frustrated about all the laundry you're doing. With a smile, tell the baby, well, man, look at all this laundry. I am so tired of it. My goodness. And just having that affect um, expression with the baby. Um, And you're still experiencing, like, the frustration and stuff, but being able to express, you know, that toward the baby. But that that is one of the concerns is um, why you need help is if you are feeling so dull and so depressive that you're not able to put that apart, then you need to come talk to somebody or get your, you know, your spouse involved. As long as there's somebody that that baby can connect to and feel that warmth. Um, and, and the nice thing, the nice statistic I've heard is you only have to get parenting 30% of the time right, and they're going to be okay. There's so much pressure that we put on ourselves. It's like, oh, I can't show them any love, then I don't want to be with them at all, ever. Um, and that's, I think, where that can happen, where you feel like you can't connect, so you don't even try at all. Hmm. That's where the trouble comes in, and that's where attachment troubles come in, I think, for, for once you know, children are getting older, even as an adult. Um, but that's the nice thing about babies is that as long as they're feeling that from somebody or from you, even 30% of the time, um, and there are strategies, like I said, you know, being able to show that expressive expression on your face and your tone of voice, even if you're not really feeling it, can can be a helpful tool. Right. And I, I think early intervention is key. And so the earlier you intervene, even if it's with the mom or the dad, the way you're doing, I can see how that's that truly that truly encompasses comprehensive treatment, I think. You know, you're seeing the mother either while you know the baby's in utero or right after birth and you're seeing mom and you're seeing baby and that's like lifespan therapy you know and so I think that that could be really effective um an effective way to kind of treat a child and treat a family and help them be well adjusted well um I can definitely I I can't save everyone (laughs) but I've known that um just being able to share the resources that I know and have with you, like you can definitely help yourself. Um, I have a website and a Facebook page, uh, Hope Men's and HopeMens.com, where I share resources and share just help. I, I also do like online therapy and stuff like that. Um, but there are also a couple of other resources that I'd like to mention that if you find yourself needing help, you can reach out to Postpartum Support International. They offer... Uh, warm line services so you call in and they give you someone in your state or your area who knows and is up to date with the resources in your area so like if you were wanting to look up you can refer in el paso you could google them and that's great so um on facebook and just different resources like that media wise because a lot of times as moms the times that we're up is in the middle of the night and so you just get on your phone and start scrolling through stuff there's a lot of good pages um mom and mind is one of them she's a psychologist who specializes in maternal mental health new mom groups are popping up that can be helpful to just even just like like i said share your story with somebody and that somebody will listen and be like me too you know that's also really helpful yeah being able to relate awesome so would you like to um 
kind of make an announcement about your practice and if people in your area uh, are listening, how they can contact you or if anybody has any questions, what they can do? Yes. So um, if you are, well, first of all, if anybody is experiencing just really, you know, like you just feel like you've had it, uh, the first place I'd probably call would be uh, the Postpartum Support National page. Um, also, if you're feeling like you just, you feel like ending your life would be the way to go just because everything is so intense. Um, yeah, definitely call 911 and, and try and get help that way. Um, ultimately your life and the life of your baby is, is, you know, necessary to keep going. Um, and so being able to call out and get emergency help is is good because eventually you know you can get the resources you need and everything and get back to being a mom and the way you want to be if you are a local in alaska um you can um email me at double uh at gmail.com right now i'm uh mainly have my practice online and so I'll do um, teletherapy so like it's shown to be very helpful especially in this state where we're so spread apart and resources are so slim that um, you may not have even a counselor in your area so being able to do that um, calling in can be very helpful it's uh, n ds.com so hope men's awesome where'd you come up with the name for that so my little tagline is um mending hope mending hearts mending family um because there's hope and um that was kind of like my main thing is like right now i'm in this but it's not forever like there's hope that it's gonna get better and so hope is what mends my broken spirit right now um because i'm holding on to that hope that it will get better and so slowly i'm like okay kind of patch it up for right now it'll be better because it's gonna get better so hope mends that's awesome it does does. hope does mend i do i do believe that that is an awesome name it's so meaningful i love it that's great gives me warm fuzzies when I think about it yeah so um I just want to say thank you so much Vanessa for agreeing to this interview and for coming onto the podcast um I don't know how many people will hear it I don't know who will hear it but I hope and pray that the people who need to hear this will hear it and they'll reach out to you or they will take your advice on you know um seeking help wherever they are in the previous podcast i talk about dialing like information lines in your city like 211 or even 911 stuff like that so always remember that you can get your own mental health professional um this discussion is is great it was really great information but uh i would strongly suggest not using it to like diagnose yourself or anything like that it's just something that um you know offers us some guidelines and um some ideas about what to look out for and what kind of help is out there so i definitely learned a lot from you today vanessa because like i said i don't really interact with um post or perinatal professionals in my area but uh now i know 
I will probably be contacting you with questions if I have any. And and that is the end of today's episode of Through the Eyes of a Therapist with me, Crystal Martinez Acosta, and today's guest, Vanessa Priscilla Perry. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye.